mercy
And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in place where two ways met, and they loosed him, and certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments upon him, and he sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they went before him, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now that eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat of the fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. The date of the events that we are reading here have a deep spiritual meaning and purpose. You'll find that this miracle that the disciples witnessed on this day occurred on the Monday morning of the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has just entered into Jerusalem uh, in what is commonly called the triumphant entry. While others have no idea what is going to transpire by Sunday on this uh, by sundown on this coming Friday, Jesus is fully aware of the fate which he is destined for. This week saw his last coming into Israel. And not just to Israel, but its central most city and capital of Jerusalem. This is the place where God chose to have his tabernacle. This is the place where God chose to house his temple. And here it is, as if Jesus was coming one last time to try and find faith in his people. The Bible said Jesus entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the even time was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. He did some sightseeing. It was almost as if Jesus had come one more time to see the state of his people. One more time to witness whether or not they would be of the faith. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came and happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. This, this seems to be somewhat of uh, a strange passage of Scripture because he, he wanted to see if there was anything on the tree, and yet... The Bible is very, very descriptive in telling us the time for figs had not yet come. And yet, it, it, it wasn't time for figs. It, it wasn't the season for the harvest. There, there should be no expectation that figs should grow out of their season. So why then would the Lord be an expectation to receive fruit? Experts tell us that the budding of leaves on the fig tree coincide with the bearing of fruit. Whereas most trees have leaves before fruit comes, the fig tree is different and its early fruits come at the same time as the leaves. And so on this one tree, in its brave and its show of foliage amidst the leafless companions, it was a hypocrite unless there were leaf figs below the leaves. Therefore, Jesus came and happily he might find anything thereon, it seemed rational that this precocious tree would have felt something that could satisfy his hunger, yet upon his arrival he found nothing. He came seeking fruit, but found nothing but leaves. No fruit on it at all. Contrary to 
his expectations and the promising appearance it made. He and his flesh should not have expected fruit from the tree because it was not the right season, but seeing it afar off in a seemingly flourishing condition, his expectations were raised. He, he came into a city on this day who just three years prior was in expectation and used in their hearts whether John Baptist was the Christ. John Baptist said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoes. I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. This city was preparing the way of Messiah. It was laying out pole branches under his feet. Shouting Hosanna, blessed is he what's coming in the name of the Lord. Jesus is entering Jerusalem amid the exaltation from the masses gathered for the Passover. In the morning he'll travel to Bethany and he spots a fig tree that was in leaf. At this point in late spring, most fig trees haven't developed a mature fruit. But this particular fruit, uh, fruit tree draws Jesus' attention because it's already full covered of leaves. It's an early bloomer. It's only shows signs that it should have early pigs. I, I want you to put to, put to your direction tonight the entirety of the Old Testament likens Israel to a vine or a tree with seasons of blessing marked by harvest and seasons of curse marked by famine. You'll find that in the Judges. You'll find that in Isaiah. You'll find it in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah 27 and 6, it says he shall cause them that come out of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom in bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Several times the prophets describe God as inspecting Israel for early figs as a sign of spiritual fruitfulness. But he finds no first ripe fig, the Bible said, that my soul desires. So in two exiles to the Assyrians and to the Babylonians. God pours out the curse of barrenness and Israel becomes a rotten fig. But all is not lost for God through those same prophets promises to one day replant Israel and produce healthy pigs from her again. And for the last three and a half years Jesus has pursued the children of God with a compassionate seriousness. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the Jewish crowds gathering to celebrate God's past act of redemption at the Passover and the Exodus have just hailed Jesus as the king when he what he leads a new Exodus on a meeting laden donkey. It's all beginning to fall together. The eschatological restoration has arrived. Scholars by this time have been counting down the days from Daniel's 70-week prophecy. The scholars of that day, you read this, uh, while the Pharisees and the Sadducees asking, are you the Christ? Are you the one we look for? Why were the people in expectation? Because there were some, some scribes who had been studying the prophecy of Daniel, and they knew that 69 weeks Messiah would be cut off. They knew that he was coming. They were looking for him to come. No one was surprised that Messiah would be coming at this time. They were searching for him. They were looking for him. They were in expectation for him. Everything was lining up. Israel's fruit would now be harvested. Blessing would now pour forth. While the rest of the nations, which were all the other fig trees, they're not yet in season. This one tree in Jerusalem is in leaf. It should have fruit. It should be ready for harvest. And both Matthew and Mark sandwiched the fig tree episode, focusing on the lens, on where, where it would all transpire in the city of Jerusalem. Except there is no fruit. It appears to be ready. I did it. It looks ready. It's got the leaves that say it's ready. But when he got there, there was no fruit. The fig tree once again has failed. The Passover celebration, the tumult, the crowds, the singing, it's all a show. And so Jesus enters into God's house of prayer and finds it is a den of robbers in Mark 11, chapter, 
chapter 11, verse 17. Lots of action, lots of bustle, but no righteousness. Leads, but no fruit. And with that expectation, Jesus inspects the tree once was Jerusalem, and he's immediately disappointed. All leads, no fruit, all expectation, no satisfaction. It appeared to be fruitful, but in reality, it was only pretending. And so he perpetuated the condition which he found and made the sin its own punishment. He found them without fruit. And because they were playing games, because they were pretending, because they were hypocrites, he left them to their own device and said, you'll never be fruitful again. What am I preaching about tonight? I'm going to preach on a dirty word, a word called hypocrisy. Oh, you got real quiet right there. According to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, the, hy the hypocrite is a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion, or who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. And yet, in the Greek, the word we find that Jesus used is hypocrites, which comes from two roots, hypo meaning under, and krino meaning judge. Properly judging under, like a performer, acting under a mask, i.e. a theater actor, an actor under an assumed character, or a stage player, Aristophanes, Xenophon, Plato, Aelian, and Herodian, all great Greek writers use this word, hypocrite, meaning somebody that's just acting. Job 28, 27, and 8 says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained when God taketh away his soul. Let me ask, what are we advantaged by pretending? Oh, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm preaching to everybody here tonight. What do we gain by panicking Pentecost? What do we gain by pretending we're saved? What do we gain by pretending we're, we're ready? What do we gain by pretending we're holy? What do we gain by playing games with God? Matthew 3.10 it says, And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I'm here to preach to somebody. Hell will be full of souls that sound up you. Hell will be full of souls that sing the same songs. Hell will be full of souls that dress the part, that talk the part, that look the part, that paid their tithes, that came to church, but they never knew God. So what do we advantage if we're hypocrites and we're just playing a part? We've got to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. Are we really what we say we are? Do we really believe what we say we believe? Are we really in the body of Christ? So if somebody would shout, God, examine me. seven woes against the Pharisees in the Gospel of Matthew. The final woe, Matthew 23 and 26. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of it may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the provided sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's homes, and of all uncleanness. Once a year in Jesus' time, about the 15th of the month of Adar, which corresponds to the month of March in the Gregorian calendar, the Jews would whitewash the tombs with lime. They would whitewash the places where corpses were buried, partly out of respect for the dead, but chiefly in order to make them conspicuous and thus to obviate the risk of persons incautiously contacting, ceremon contracting ceremonial defilement by touching or walking over them. To such sepulchers, our Lord compares these Pharisees because they're outwardly fair, so concealed a rottenness within. And so Jesus gives us warning about against being someone who has an outward appearance of holiness and righteousness, but are within full of dead men's bones. In Matthew 
chapter 6 and 2, he says, Therefore, when thou doest thy alms, do not sell the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they have made glory, and they have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. Verse 5, And thou, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. Verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, but a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men. To pass, verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. I'm going to ask myself tonight, do I, do I pray the same way at home that I do at church? Do I worship the same way at church as I do in my prayer closet? Am I talking the same way at home as I am at church? Am I play acting? Or am I really following God? Am I a Christian at work? Or am I a healthy at work? I'm here to ask somebody, do you have some fruit? Or are you just a tree with nothing to leave? Jesus warns us about appearing to be righteous. You know, there's a saying that says they got all the soul in them. What do you read down? You got a pretty star in the world, but they got no engine. It's all show and no go. Say that about horse races. That's the prettiest horse, but if it don't go anywhere, then won't win the race. Are we all show and no go? Are we really what we say we are? Because Jesus, he, he, he tells us that we should not be like the Pharisees who appear to be righteous. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 5, then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? But he read with unwashed hands, and he answered and said unto them, Well, have Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written, the people, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups. And many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. That, I'm going to tell somebody that it doesn't matter how holy you are on the outside if you're not holy on the inside. You can have your head down to your ankles and your skirt can be dragged in the floor, but if the inside's not washed, you're not going to hold it your way to heaven. You're not going to hold it your way through the pretty gates. There's got to be a yatah of God. There's got to be a knowing of God. There's got to be a relationship and walking and an intimacy with God if we're going to be saved. You latched on to the holy things. You latched on to all these commandments, to all of these things, and you suppose that it's godliness. It doesn't matter how, how long those things are. The heart's not right. Matthew 22, 36, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. In all these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. The whole thing hangs on whether or not you're in love with God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And if you love God, you won't miss church. And if you love God, you won't stop praying. And if you love God, you'll be paying your time. And if you love God, you'll live holy and you'll talk holy. But you can't have that if you don't have a relationship with Him. The whole thing hinges on the heart. If not, if not, there's a hole. They almost show up holy than all. They got horses and bugs. They ain't got electricity. I see the minute out folks, they got the long hair and the hair in the bun and all wearing skirts. And, well, they, they dress not holy like us, but they don't have one of God. Have Jesus' name in filling in the Holy Ghost. Because the matter begins in the heart. Apostle Paul knew this right well when he wrote to the church of Rome in Romans 2.17. He said, Behold, thou art born a Jew, the rest of the law, and make us the most of God. See, some people make their entire most of their, their walk with God just on the, on the law. Yeah. 
whatever. Folks ain't got a right heart to throw you in hell for wearing wear a wristwatch. In doctrine, I, I believe in standards. I, I believe in living right. I believe in walking right and speaking right. I believe in it. But if that's all you're hanging your hat on, in those who swear on the prudence of things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident in the power of God, thyself a guard of the blind, a light of them which in darkness and struggle of the foolish. Teacher of angels and the form of knowledge and the truth of the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest not thou, thou thyself. Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thou boast of the law through the breaking of the law, the son of thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written, for the circumcision barely profited. If thou keep the law, but if you be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the circumcision be made, be, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and the circumcision must transgress the law, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of a heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise of, is not of men, but of God. It's a heart matter. Examine your heart. Am I really a believer? Am I really following Christ? Am I really ready to meet God? Or am I just play acting? Am I just putting on a show? Am I just showing up and putting on a mask? Examine yourself. It's a matter of the heart. Apostle Paul, who wrote that previous scripture, arguably the most well recognized character in the New Testament, second to Jesus Christ himself. 14 of the 27 New Testament books are commonly attributed to Paul, making him the foremost author of all biblical books. The Bible reveals very little about Paul's family. However, the book of Acts quotes Paul referring to his family by saying, he was a Pharisee born of Pharisees. According to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he came from a family, a heritage of piety. One biblical scholar, Robert Eisenman, even argues that Paul possibly was a member of the family of Herod the Great. He makes the connection between Paul and an individual identified by Josephus in the antiquities of the Jews as Saulus, who was kindred to Agrippa, often citing the, 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 the book of Romans chapter 16 where he writes, Greek Herodian, my kinsman. Now, we don't know that pursuing it really doesn't matter, but, but we, we can, we can say today that Paul had a pedigree. Paul was connected. And while he was still fairly young, he was sent to Jerusalem to receive his education at the school of Gamaliel, one of the most noted teachers of Jewish law in the history. He had a pedigree. He had something behind his name. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was raised knowing from, from learning from the best teacher of the law of God. Doing what he thought was right. Persecuting the church. Condemning them to prison. Condemning them to death. While Stephen was stoned, he, he held the coats of those who murdered that man. He was doing what he thought was right. As a Pharisee. Until. Having letters to Damascus. To bind them which were following Jesus. That were preaching that gospel. The Bible said that he was on his way. He was struck down by a blinded light. And heard a voice. But saw the man. And then. The Bible said he saw the Lord, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the prick.
Sandia, filled with the Holy Ghost. He got called to the ministry, and he went on to be the greatest missionary in the world to ever known. Thirty years of his life, going all throughout ancient Bible, to all the great churches that we find there. In the book of Revelation, their Paul was integral in their formation and in their pastoring and their bishopry. And he writes to us in Philippians 3. Though I might also have the confidence in the flesh, if any other man think of me, I wear my trust in the flesh, I hold. He now begins to give us his pedigree. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. But the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. I had all the looks down. I was blameless according to the law. I had the holiness right. I had all of the letters of the law lined out. I didn't miss in anything. Yet he was.
too many miles. I've fought too many battles. I've gone through too many things to come to the end of the journey and have the world seem to part from me. Even work iniquity. I never knew you. I've got to know him. I've got to know him. I've got to have a relationship. I've got to have a walk. I've got to have a talk. God has got to be Just to come and take up space. It's not good enough just to show up because the calendar says it's time to show up. No, the Bible said when you come to the house, interstates with Thanksgiving, interstates with praise. I didn't come here tonight just because it was on the calendar. I came because I want to know. Is that why we shout at camp meeting and revival what we sit still on Wednesday night? Are you just playing patty cake? Are you just playing games? Are you just putting on a show? Or is it really down on the inside? Is your shout sitting alive? Or is it planting? I mean, that's somebody. Are you all leaves? Or is there some fruit in your life? Paul gave up being Pharisee so that he could know Christ. Because the Pharisees were all show and no go. The Pharisees were the trees that should have fruit. They knew the Lord was coming, but they had all show and no go. They were nothing but leaves. They were hypocrites. They were play acting. Paul realized this. He said, I left all of that. I left off being a play actor. I left off being somebody wearing a mask, pretending somebody to be somebody that I really wasn't. I, maybe you can fool pastor. Maybe you can fool the poop cue partner. You might even be able to fool your spouse or your kids, but you're not fooling God. And I'm coming a word from heaven to somebody. You gotta get in the church. You gotta get in the altar. You gotta get it right. You got to bear some fruit. So Paul left off being a tree with no with nothing but leaves to follow after a man named Jesus. Why? Because as a Pharisee, he was buried. He had the outward appearance. He had the standards right, but there was no fruit until he met a man named. Jesus and that Jesus in John 15 4 said abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit itself except it abide in the vine no more can he except he abide in me I am the vine ye are the branches he that abide in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for that me can do you want to bear some fruit, get in the vine. If you want to bear some fruit, get up, get up with the Lord. If you want to bear some fruit, you gotta get by in here. Don't just show up. It's a study. You got to have the 
absolutely nothing but leaves. Just a lighted sepulchre full of dead men's bones. If you want to be saved, you've got to abide in him. You can't hold it your way into heaven. You won't sit on your pew on your way to the pearly gates. It doesn't matter how holy you appear. If you're on the vine, if you're in the vine, you won't bear any fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cast, fire. Jesus. 